Jeff McGuire, second baseman. Jeff. Anyway, hey guys, hi, I'm Jeff. Uh, I'm, I'm actually on stage, I probably should address you. Hi, really good to be with you guys. As, uh, as Mike said, if you're new, we're really, really glad that you're here. I know that there's um, lots of places you could be, there's lots of things you could do with your Sunday morning, and the fact that you would be here with us is a total gift to us. And I know I speak for all of us who this is their home church. We're just so glad that you're here um, joining us. And I know that um, you know, our, our reputation, just so you know, our reputation is that we're a group of people who uh, are incredibly welcoming of new folks who are checking stuff out. I met a lot of new people. A lot of you guys who are, this is your home church, you're bringing a lot of people. And um, I know that for some of you who are in this place for the first time, you wonder about why does the room look like it does. And, you know, we just like to brag we're the only church in America with five walls. And we just, it's just something we hold up and welcome. Um, but I also want to tell you, as Mike was talking about giving, I had an interesting phone call this week. Someone from, there's like three people in the church. The whole, Mariner's Church is four churches. And, um, this is, this is, you know, this is the flagship, you know, campus, you know, that everyone kind of talks about. But then there's, there's the chair warehouse in Irvine, uh, and it's, 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 it's a huge church. And then there's one in Huntington Beach, and then our Ocean Hills campus as well. But anyway, I was talking with someone, someone uh, called me this week and said, hey, Jeff, did you, um, just want to let you know, um, because I was testing out, we have this new mobile, like, we're, they're trying to figure out, like, a way to make our, our website and everything more mobile, including giving. And so I tested it out, and I gave a dollar to Mariner's Mission Viejo. Uh, on this, like from my phone. And um, so someone from Irvine calls who oversees all of the accounting stuff, and she goes, you know, just want to let you know, I saw that you gave a dollar to <laughs> Mariner's Mission Viejo, and I'm like, I know, I know. Are you impressed? Do I get a plaque, you know, or something? And is that what you called to tell me? And she goes, well, I just wanted to let you know, like, because I was just testing out the, the thing. And uh, she goes, do you realize you've been, all of you, you've been giving since you've been working at Mariner's, which is at the Irvine campus, you know, for, since like, 2002, you've been giving to the Irvine campus. Did you want to give to Mission Viejo? I was like, now, now, again, she's like one of the only people in the church, like three people in the whole church that would even know, they would like know that. But I just so happened because I gave $1, she then goes, you've been giving all of your, you know, your, your, your offering to the Irvine campus. Did you want to give it to Mission Viejo? And I was like, well, not that it would end our like behind the budget scenario, but that'd probably be good if the pastor was giving to his own church. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I just want to let you guys know, as, as we talk about giving, you know, as Mike mentioned, we don't give out of, we don't want anybody to give out of any kind of forced, like, group dynamic, coercion, whatever. We don't pass the plate. That's why we have the offering boxes in the back. Um, but if this is your home church, and you believe in the work that God's doing here, we want to, you know, giving is, not only is it an act of worship, because we know God doesn't need our money, but it's a way of orienting our own heart toward God. But it's a way of participating in the work that God does here. And this, if, again, if you're new, I'm not talking to you, but if this is your home church, I had a guy talk to me a while ago who goes, he literally said this to my face. It was really funny. He goes, um, you know, I, I, love, I, love, I love giving stuff. And great. I'm like, okay, great. He goes, but I just, I just don't, I don't give to the church. I just don't trust it. I was like, yeah, you really can't trust the leadership in those places, can you? You know, like, I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, he goes yeah, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable giving to the church. Now, again, I, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, do what you, whatever. You know, that's, that's great. I just, but there's a part of me that's like, you know, if you're, if you're receiving from and participating in, the church lives on what the people in the group here give. And so if you want to participate in what God's doing, that would be kind of like you saying, I'm in. It's all that that is. And the Bible tells us that it's not we kind of get our hearts excited about something and then give. The Bible says, which is kind of bizarre, it actually says, give so that your heart can be oriented toward what you're giving. And um, this is the way, and one of the ways we participate in that way. And again, I'm not speaking to you if, this is your, if you're new with us, but if this is your home church, Consider what it might look like to be a part of what God's doing here in another level, to take a next step. We always want to grow in our generosity, and God consistently rewards generosity in that way. So 
there's just something to consider as we um, move on. And yes, I will now be giving my own offering <laughs> to our own church. So just in case you're wondering. Um, but we are in a series called um, An Outsider's Guide to Jesus. And it has been great. I've got lots of feedback from you. Some, a lot of you emailed me this past week about connecting with some of the stuff we talked about last week. Um, but a lot of people just saying over the course of the past couple of weeks, of course, uh, this is the fourth week of the series. I started this off and then, you know, Doug Fields uh, you know, kind of got us going in the book of Luke. And then now here we are moving through the book of Luke. But um, very cool stuff. People are saying, you know, I didn't really have a good handle on who Jesus is, or at least I had some vague idea about who he is. But the idea of being able to kind of get a handle on exactly who this person is from the book of Luke has been really cool. Luke is a guy writing. He's sponsored by a guy named Theophilus, which just means lover of God. So it could be his real name, or it could just be a clever title. But there's this guy, Theophilus, who's sponsoring Luke's writing. And Luke's saying, I want to give you a, a really good ordered account so that you can know with certainty all the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, what he's saying is, you've heard about Jesus, but there's some pretty wild things that have happened in Jesus. Like the whole, all the story surrounding him is pretty crazy. And so I want to make sure that the story of Jesus, life and ministry and death and resurrection is in plain language so you understand it. And people really appreciate that because, you know, it seems like there's been a lot of other things that have obscured Jesus and the gospel of Luke um, is in plain language about his life and about who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to be studying for the next who knows how long. But this is where we are for now in our series, Outsider's Guide to Jesus. So um, let's do this. Let's pray and we'll get into today's message and then um, we'll respond together in worship and prayer afterwards. So um, Jesus, we come before you and we're grateful. We're grateful that um, you have um, already been at work in us and um, in this place. We're grateful that you have met us here. And Father, we know that life itself has taken so many unexpected and surprising turns as we think back over our lives. Even the fact that we're here, some of us wandered in here um, on our last leg, hoping we would discover something different about you, maybe even about ourselves. Others of us, Father, come in here rejoicing because life's unexpected turns have been so good and we're grateful. And others of us are looking somewhere in the middle between despair and absolute celebration and gratitude, to find moments to celebrate and to hope that you would grieve with us, Father, that you would walk in our midst to grieve with us. And so, Jesus, we come to you today, regardless of where we are on that spectrum, and we hope to hear from you. And so, Father, for just a moment, as we pause, just kind of customarily, we pause that you might speak to us, that you, Holy Spirit, would somehow speak in words that are beyond words, that we might hear from you in the stillness and in the quiet, and you might meet us here, Jesus. Father, we expect to hear from you. We believe that you are speaking and revealing God. And we expect to hear from you. And we're grateful that we get to be together with people who do not have all the answers, who haven't got everything figured out, who don't have to wear a pretense, some kind of fake exterior, that we just get to come before you with each other and call you Father. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Um, well, we are in Luke chapter 1. If you brought your own Bible, you can, you can pull that out now. You can, you know, if you don't have one, don't worry. We'll put everything you need on the screen as well as if you want to follow along in some kind of digital swipey device, you know, whatever, go ahead and do that as well. Um, you can open that up. Um, but while we're doing that, let me ask you just again, I'm, I'm asking for feedback here. This isn't a rhetorical question. Let me ask you, what are some of the movies that you can think of 
that have some of the best and most surprising plot twists you've ever seen? Shawshank Redemption, great one. What else? A Beautiful Mind, yes. What else? Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense was like the consensus overarching one last service. Everyone's like, should I say that? Are we allowed to say that in the service? And I guess we can. And people said Sixth Sense. You know, yes, definitely. Good. What else? Usual Suspects. Best answer. Who is Kaiser Sose? Very good. If you don't know who the answer is, rent Usual Suspects on Netflix or whatever. Okay, good. What else? Identity. Identity. Good one. What else? The Game by Michael Douglas, yes. Well, it wasn't by Michael Douglas. I don't think he wrote it. I mean, he got to be in it, but I don't think he wrote it. Did you actually write it? Not The Game by Michael Douglas, just The Game with starring Michael Douglas. <laughs> okay, good, yes. What else? Inception, ba-bam-bam. Bam. <laughs> okay, good. What else? Primal Fear. Primal Fear, great one. That's a really good one. Not a lot of people remember that movie. It's really good. Edward Norton, good. What else? What'd you say? Taken, good. The Matrix. What was the, what was the plot twist, The Matrix? <laughs> now you see me? I, didn't, I don't know that one. It's brand new. Someone said the movie with Robert Redford, and I was like, there's like three people in the, movie, in the whole theater here that had seen the movie, and I was like, okay, we'll take your word for it. There's a twist. We don't know. He's at, in the ocean. Okay, good. What else? Anything else? Someone please rescue this service from its... There's one... Well, wait, who said Someone... Someone has seen the light in this room. What is it? The Empire Strikes Back. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back, you need to find a new church. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there are so many movies. There's movies that we watch. Someone said Scooby-Doo last service, of course. You know, that's like every single end. Oh, Mr. Withers. We never thought it'd be you with a mask on, unlike every other episode that has happened that we've ever had any kind of. <laughs> but there's, when we look at movies that have these kind of wonderful plot twists, we get to the end and we go, no way, did I, how did I not see that? I'm so frustrated I didn't know that. Like the last Batman movie, like the real villain, you're like, what? How did I not catch that? Right? There's so many of these moments where we go, there's clearly a way this is going. There's a way that this story's supposed to go. And then it gets flipped on us, and we're like, wait a second, how did that happen? And we just were stuck, we're just kind of struck in disbelief. Like, no, no, no way. And then you have to go back and watch the movie, you know, and like see it again. If you, if you guys will ever watch Memento, that movie, where you get to watch it in order, where you're like, oh, that does make sense. How did I not see that? Because it was going backwards and forwards at the same time is why. Because you're not crazy, right, if you've ever seen that movie. But there's like, there's a sense of us that goes, there's a way things are supposed to go. And everything does actually resolve in these movies with these plot twists, but not like you thought. Everything goes a certain way. We're expecting it to go a certain way, and then it flips around, and we go, is this the way it's supposed to go? Is there another way? And then we kind of have this moment where we go, this happened, but not like we thought. When we look at the life and the story of Jesus, his life and ministry, particularly as it's counted for in Luke, you have a number of these kinds of twists, a number of bizarre things. Remember this guy who's sponsoring Luke's writing, is a guy saying, I want to know for sure that this is who he says he is, because there's a lot at stake. It's like in the year 60-something in the Roman Empire, and people who say they're Christians get eaten by lions. So I want to be absolutely certain that this is for real. And, you know, there, why is it then that there's this Jewish man in a tiny little outpost of the Roman Empire who is gaining followers and claiming to be superior even to, and people are calling him greater even than Caesar, is 
is that, how is that, how is that supposed to, that's not the way a kingly God person is supposed to come into the, how is that working? Now, what we're going to do today is this. We're going to read a story that has been so incredibly over-Christmasized that I just don't want you to lose it. Because, you know, we kind of have this sense as we kind of get closer to Christmas, which, by the way, what is up that Christmas is already, like, in, I walked in, I walked in, if I was, um, this is, I kind of have to brag about this, I don't do very many of these things but I fixed our dishwasher. Like I had to get pipe fittings and, you know, hose clamps. And I had to go and get those things from Home Depot, which is like <laughs> awesome. And then I've actually fit, I repaired an appliance. So I'm like, give me a heavy object to lift or something to throw or <laughs> crime to fight. I mean, I just feel like I'm, I'm a guy, you know, like, but I walked in the first thing I walk into Home Depot and it's just nothing but Christmas stuff. And I was like, my goodness, we're already, wow, we're already there. Okay. Now, anyway, I don't know what, that's just, that has nothing to do with the message except this. When we talk about today, you're going to hear a story that you go, yeah, I've heard this before, Christmas Eve or something like that, kind of leading up to Christmas Eve, we might tell the story, and I've heard it before. But I want you to understand that if there's a way you can kind of, you know, we've kind of become immune to it, if there's a way that you can sort of unimmunize yourself, if that's possible, to this story, that it might actually do something to you, try to imagine it as if you had never heard this information before in your entire life. Because I think if we can do that just a little bit, God might do something a little bit surprising in us. All right, so here it is. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Here we go. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gosh, that is a hard clause to say. Sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. There we go. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, here's what you need to know. Right Right out of the gate. This story mirrors the previous story. It was 20 verses or so we talked about last week. Where there's this woman, Elizabeth who is old, we know that, and her husband, Zechariah, also old. Zechariah is a priest. He's in the, um, in the temple offering some, uh, so he's burning incense in the temple. It's kind of a pretty big deal. While he's there, an angel visits him, has a conversation, says, you're going to have a kid. Elizabeth is now sort of this old person has this, we're going to have a kid scenario. And this story we're about to read is framed up against the previous story of an angel visiting a guy and telling someone they're going to have a kid. Right? So we know this already. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, the same angel that visited Zechariah, and the previous story is now visiting this town, um, Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, you have to know this. Nazareth is not like a, um, like we, you know, hearing the Christmas story and stuff, we've heard like the towns of Nazareth and, and, and Bethlehem a bunch. We hear those words a lot. And we kind of imagine they're kind of like smaller suburbs of massive cities. It's like Irvine is to, you know, uh, you know, to L.A. or, you know, like somewhere to Carlsbad is to San Diego or something, something like that. Like there's just a little ways out of the way. It was a big, no, no, no. Up until probably 50 or 60 years ago, archaeologists didn't even, they weren't even certain where Nazareth was. There wasn't really good evidence to support it. Some people, some critics of the Bible said, there's no Nazareth. Everyone's talking about it. There's no Nazareth. And up until archaeologists said, no, 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 people are actually talking about this place. What they realized, it's not much more than like a campground, like a trailer park. It's a tiny little place. And here comes this angel, the same one who visited Zechariah in the temple, is now visiting this city, this tiny little you know, campsite in, in Galilee. And by the way, the people in Galilee are looked down upon by people in Judea, which is like where Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been from. It's sort of like the snobby people in the holy place look down on these people who live out in their tents and their trailer park. That's literally the way it is. In fact, there's lots of references in the Bible where People say, could anything good come from Nazareth? Speaking, of course, of Jesus. Like, is there anything possible? Because it's kind of a nightmare of a place. Here we go. Uh, Verse 27. So angel Gabriel to Nazareth. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, it's a little interesting. First, I want to start with Joseph. We'll come back to the other stuff in a second. Joseph is a guy who gets a lot, a lot more like right up in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. This is kind of it. I mean, there's a little bit more that Joseph has to do, but he's just a descendant of David. That's all you get. And there's this awesome guy, Joseph, descendant of David. The end. Right? That's pretty much all you get about him. And here's what you need to know why this is important. Joseph's connection to David really matters. When people are anticipating the coming of God's rescuer for the whole world, the one who would rescue Israel, put everything back the way it's supposed to be, the way God intended, there was lots of prophecy that pointed to the idea that there was this guy who's going to come out of this line of David, this kingly line of David. And there's Joseph, this person to whom Mary's engaged, and he comes from that particular line. And engagement, by the way, is way different than here. It's not like, you know, you can kind of just take off the ring and be done with engagement. I think we're done. I think we need to take... It's like, it's literally like barely a degree less than being married. And here's this person, Mary, engaged to a guy who has a connection to this guy, David. And if you're, if you're reading this as an ancient reader, hearing this as an ancient reader, knowing this stuff, it's particularly if you have some little bit of an understanding of the Jewish story... What you're anticipating then is, oh, wow, there's a little, little, the little lights are going off a little bit. Like, this is, there's, this is David, there's a guy, Joseph, something's happening here that might be kind of significant. Now, Joseph has a connection to the, to the throne. But the person who's on the throne now has usurped power. Not that they weren't put there by God's, you know, they weren't put there in the right spot, you know, kind of like, this isn't God's faithful person. This is a person who usurped power and took it. Which means all of Joseph's destiny for greatness, has been robbed by some other people. And yet, there's this little line. Joseph and David, somehow they're connected together. Then you have this other kind of part of it. that says twice in this one verse. Said this, there's a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and she was also a virgin. I mean, it's like, how often do we need to say it in these two verses? Like, just in this one verse, you have over and over again that she's a virgin. Like, why not just say, and her name was Mary? Because maybe this has something to do with what's going on. Not, not only that, because you've heard the story before, I'm sure, whether or not you have a relationship with the church or Jesus or the Bible, whatever, but you probably have heard that story before. But virginity, like into marriage, remember, Mary's probably the oldest, 13, 14 years old. She's a seventh grader. You know, in kind of what we portray her and kind of have in our mind, she's probably, you know, she's young. She's 24, you know, like in our head. She's probably a junior higher. And the virtue, the, the, this idea of being a virgin is so incredibly critical to being married. Like it was not even a, if she's not, then they can't, essentially is what that is. And so it's emphasized that she's been faithful and righteous and all that kind of stuff, but that she is also, it's really critical, which we'll find out later, that she's a virgin. We'll find that out in a little bit. 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. Now, if we were with us last week, you heard that when an angel shows up, they always, always, always terrify people, and then angels have to say immediately after that, fear not or do not be afraid, have no fear, something like that. We saw Zechariah, who's in the temple, doing you know, his stuff for the temple, and then there's, the angel shows up, and he's like, literally it says he was gripped with fear. Now, notice here, Mary, seventh grader, has an encounter with an angel. And it isn't the angel that terrifies her, specifically. It isn't the angel that she gets scared by. It's something else. Look, at, look really closely. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Which means she's not freaked out that she's talking to an angel. Maybe because she's only 13 years old or so. Maybe because she's a seventh grader and they're like, sure, angels, that's cool. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe she, her faith is a little bit less encumbered by all the sophistication of our adult life. And she's just like, angel, cool. But what troubles her is the greeting. Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> how, how? I know what favored people look like. Favored people come from big towns. They don't live in, the, in Galilee. They don't live in Nazareth in a little campsite trailer park. They live in some big town. Favored ones have lots of money and influence and power. And I'm a junior high girl. And I got, I mean, even in society, I got no voice. This is a male-dominated society. I got no voice, I'm, and I'm a little girl. I, got, I know what favorite is, and it's not me. And she wonders what kind of greeting this is. There's a sense about her, about the implications of whatever this is. Greetings, highly favored one. Are you sure you meant me? Because I know what favored looks like. It's not me. I got a story, and it begins and ends in a trailer park like this. Sure you found the right person? That's why she's afraid. What could it mean? Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, which are the people of Israel, forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, everything the angel says there are like prophetic buzzwords about this person called the Messiah, or in Hebrew, the, the Christ, or I mean, sorry, Greek, the Christ. You have this, there's this, everything there is like, this is all about that person who's here to rescue the world. Throne of David, it's going on forever and ever, son of the most high God. These are all, these are all kind of big, even the name Jesus means God saves or God rescues. And there's like this, whoa. Everything you're saying here is a big deal. Um, you know, there's this, the, there's this kind of picture here you get too. It's, again, contrasting to what we saw last week. Zechariah gets an announcement about his own son who will prepare the way. It's what we read, remember this last week. He'll prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. We talked about this last week. And then there's going to be this other person who will come who is the Lord. That's what Mary's getting. Your son will be called the son of the most high God. He's the one everybody's been expecting to come. He's the one everybody's been waiting patiently. They've been experiencing 400 years of silence without God really saying much through his prophets. And all of a sudden there's this, this guy, I'm going to have, he's going to be my son. Greetings, highly favored one. Here's, your, here's the name of your son and here's, what he's gonna be. here's who he's going to be means that all of what God had been talking about wasn't going to come through the channels everybody else had been expecting. That whatever God's going to do was going to come through these forgotten people who live out in the dust, and he's going to utilize them to bring about his plan in the world. That's a plot twist. And then, oh, sorry, I should read this to you. Here's just an idea, Psalm 89, before I go on. This is like the, this is some of the language you just heard. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever, and with my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. And you said, quoting God, this is the psalmist quoting God, 
I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. All of this language about this person, Jesus, reflects this kind of stuff in Psalm 89. You see it throughout the Bible. And all of God's plan is going to be executed through these people who would otherwise be forgotten. If they weren't there, people wouldn't even notice. This is how God's plan is going to work. And so inevitably, there's a few questions. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. Now, she's, first of all, she's, you know, she's 13. But she's been to like sixth grade health class. I mean, literally, I mean, she's literally asking, I mean, you know, we know the story of a virgin birth before, because we've, even if you're not sure about Jesus, you've heard about stuff like this before. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you have to understand, she's like, uh, how, do, how does this go down? I mean, literally, it's that, it is that awkward and funny. So, okay, uh, great, he's the son of the most high. What do we do? How does this, what are we, what are we supposed to do? I mean, she's asking a really practical question, and this question is contrasted to uh, Zachariah's question as a priest who's got all this important history in his own life. He's got an important job and all these things he's got to do in the temple, which is last week. And it's contrasted against Zachariah's question of the angel who says, you're going to have a son. He's going to prepare the way. Isn't that great? Your shame is over. Because Zachariah has all of this righteousness. He's born from the right family. He has a great job. His wife is, it comes from the right family. And neither of them do any, they're like considered blameless in the public eye, and yet they have this shame because they have no kids, if you're with us last week. That to have no kids and be righteous is not compatible. And the angel says, your shame is over. You got everything you could, this is, your, this is what you wanted, and your son's going to be great. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? In other words, I need you to give me a sign that this is actually going to be the case. Because my wife and I were old. Old. <laughs> and the angel says, sure, I will give you a sign. You will not speak for nine months. God bless you. I mean, that was it. And your wife. I know she does tired of your yapping. Okay, so whatever. That's what the angel says to Zachariah. Literally shut his, months, shut his mouth for nine months. Mary says something different. She just is asking the practical question. How can, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Like... I, I know how, I, I mean, I, this isn't, how does this, I, I'm in, but I just, how's this going to go? What do we do? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Most important here is this, the word overshadow, it's not the best translation of that word. Um, the word overshadow, we kind of think of it like, it's kind of like, you know, it has a negative connotation. The word overshadow comes from a, a long sort of history of Scripture of God doing that kind of activity. I want you to see what this looks like. Psalm 91 says this, just to give you a sense. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Which means you, Mary, will be encompassed, covered, held protected. This is a role that typically, traditionally, a husband has in this culture. That while women may not have a lot of a voice or rights or all that stuff or whatever else, one of the things a husband is responsible to do is to encompass or overshadow or shield or protect his own wife. Now what's being said in a very kind of delicate, strange way is 
the role of the husband in this pregnancy will be played by God. He will shield you and protect you, which means not only is he husband, he's also father. He will be the father. And he will shield you and he will protect you. Verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. A couple things here. There's a connection here. Remember, Mary kind of believes herself to be a not, not so much of an anything. And so the story's kind of written that you've got to get Mary's in this dust bowl of a trailer park with no real right family origin or whatever. But then there's this one little line, your relative Elizabeth, which means there's some kind of connection to something honorable or good about her family past, which matters in this particular time and place. Now, both Mary and Joseph have a life in which all of what would otherwise have been promised to them has been buried. Their destiny, whatever it might have been, however great it was supposed to be, has been buried and forgotten and lost and pushed down and to the degree that they probably don't believe it either. Remember, Mary's like, Scared by the greeting favored one. Secondly, she's just now getting the news from the angel that Elizabeth, who is old, which they keep emphasizing. I'm sure how much Elizabeth appreciates that. But they keep, they keep you know, the, the angel says, Elizabeth, who's in her old age, is pregnant and in her sixth month. Meaning, you, I'm telling you right now something that's kind of bizarre happening with a wild pregnancy. You know what I mean? And then, and then, it says, and she who was said to be unable to conceive, meaning it was public knowledge. It was a matter of public record that this person, Elizabeth, could not have any kids. Everybody knew it. She was righteous, except there was a little asterisk next to her righteousness because she had, couldn't have any kids. Everybody knew it, and her shame has been lifted. For no word... Continuing on, verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Sometimes it's translated, and nothing is impossible for God. This is a quote from all the way back in Genesis 18, when two people who are also very old, Abraham and Sarah, are told they're going to have a kid, to which Sarah laughs. <laughs> and she named her kid, he laughs, Isaac. And they have this conversation with God who says to them, you're going to have a kid. And they're like, oh, sure we are. We're old, right? Which is what old people, I guess, say when God or angels tell them you're going to have kids. They all kind of go, we're old. And yet, and yet there's this answer. Is anything too difficult for God? Really? This is a hearkening back to that other miraculous pregnancy that happened. And there's this image then, this picture about God's work unfolding. And, these, and there's, this, there's this girl, this seventh grade girl saying, okay, I get it. And there's, here's her answer. It's so unbelievably beautiful. She says this in verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. When people look at the life of Mary, one of the things that you could probably capture if you look really closely at her life is that this is probably the best possible answer. To a mysterious God who calls us into things. I don't get it all. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I don't understand how this is all supposed to work. I just, I'm the seventh grade girl and I'm this miraculous stuff, the son of the most high. I'm the Lord's servant. I don't get it. 
from the Lord's servant. And this is how the story kind of ends at this point. I mean, this is the, the story is wrapped by, you know, the angel kind of comes and shows up, has the conversation, then leaves. And there's this kind of like, okay, well, now what am I supposed to do? And we kind of tip, typically go right in if you've been part of the church before, church, you know, some different denominations. Where you have then, okay, this is Advent, and now we're waiting for Jesus. That's the Merry Christmas, everyone, to kind of go on your way. But I, a lot of implications of the story. And I want to re-look at the story just one more time, a little bit more closely in the way that the author intended you to be, intended the original audience to read. Remember, the, the Bible is for us, but it is not to us. That means people are reading it differently with different eyes than the original audience. Because, it's, again, remember, this story is something we kind of assume that because it's old, it must have been okay with everybody back then. That we just kind of go, yeah, it's weird, we don't get it, but they probably are okay with it. I want you to read the story one more time, but I want to do it. Before I do that, I want to set this up a little bit. I want you to finish these sentences. Okay, just really quick with me. All right, here they are. Uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? Um, this is a little trickier. Someone got this. Two people got this last service. Do I love you because you're beautiful or? Are you beautiful because I love you? Yes, about three people, right? Do I love you because you're beautiful? Or are you beautiful because I love you? Isn't that a wonderful sentiment? Okay, quitters never win. Winners never quit. Right, good. I'm stuck on Band-Aid brand. Because Band-Aid stuck on me. Some of you sang it with, I mean, more alacrity than when we had the worst. Ethan, we got to get some of these people in our band because they're really, see, anyway, um, these are all examples of something called a chiasm, or a, in, a more specifically, a chiasmus. But it, basically all it says is there's a central, there's a, there's a point in which this, the, something being said goes to an area and then it pivots and comes back. I'm stuck on, I'm stuck on Band-Aid brand because, there we go, right? You see that? And then the, now, I should, I should conduct a choir, evidently, with this. This is all you need. None of this, just do that. Okay. <laughs> Now, when you see it in a written form, the point at which the, the, the text pivots is the emphasis of that text. And it's used, in the ancient, it's used in the ancient world a ton. In fact, you can look at a lot of the Bible. If you're ever reading a part of the Bible and you're like, I feel like I just read, I just, just read that like three verses ago. Am I just getting bored or tired or, you know, what, what, am, what am I reading here? When you encounter that, what you're probably encountering is a chiasmus. And I want to show you the one that's in this passage because it's built around this. And I want you to see this and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So here's what this looks like. Here we go. This, the, whole, the whole episode is grouped, um, or sort of bookended by this, what's called an inclusio, meaning here's the whole grouping of stuff we're talking about, with an angel arriving and an angel leaving. Those two words in Greek are really similar, by the way. Then here we go, B. Favor is expressed. Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. That's, how that, well, that's, the, that's the greeting. Then you have, going back out, you have favor is expressed. Remember, Elizabeth's pregnancy is about her being favored. Her shame is over, God's favor is upon her, God's blessing is upon her, and now we have then that there is a favor upon her as well. Then here we go, see. There's an announcement of the Son, which you have the Son of the Most High God, all of these kinds of things. In, in, um, and in verse 35, just really briefly, you have the, the Son of God. You have this Son announcement again. Now, the critical, central piece of this whole passage is right here. How can this how can this be? I'm a virgin. I'll leave that up there for a little bit. I'm going to talk about this. How can this be? Is that not the question all of us have asked? Whether or not you're a person who has ever been in church or not, 
the question that says, how can this be? Some of us will utter the, those words in the, most, in the greatest, most positive sense in the world. How can this be? Others of us, how can this be? That the emphasis on this passage is that there's a, there is God at work in a story with a stunning plot twist. People expected it to go a particular direction, and yet there is this curveball that there's this virgin who's going to be, give birth to Jesus. How is this, how in the world is this supposed to work? How can this be? It is one of the quintessential faith questions that everybody asks. How can this be? My life was supposed to go a certain way. There's a story about things supposed to happen. You know, there's the emphasis on God coming in this most incredible way, and yet this, how, how can this be? The king will be among his people, again, is what's being prophesied. God, who was the pillar of fire, leading his people out of captivity in Egypt. God who shakes the mountains, God who occupies and fills the temple. All of that guy, that God, is going to walk among us, but it's go, he's going to show up through this girl who lives in a trailer park. How can this be? In other words, God is going to do everything he promised to do, but not like you thought. God's going to do everything he's promised to do, but not as any of us thought. People in the Bible are constantly frustrated by Jesus because he keeps acting with such authority and moving with such kind of authority, and they're going, wait, 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 this isn't what we expected. God doesn't do this kind of, that's not how God operates. And to look back over Jesus' life and all of these sort of key points, and to place him into the right form and history of, from the Bible, you actually go, oh my gosh. This does all work together, but not like I thought. How can this be? When anytime people pray, whether, like I said, whether or not you're a part of our church or any church you're visiting or whatever it might be, anytime people pray, which, you know, if you've never been a part of a church, I'm, I'm certain every one of us in this room has prayed. Anytime you see a, a cop in your rearview mirror, the light's going on. Lord Jesus, I don't know. Whatever I got to do to have him turn that siren off, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But you probably said something like this, how can this be? And I'm absolutely certain if you have a relationship with God in some capacity through Jesus, you have uttered this exact phrase in your life. Now, how can this be? I feel like I'm going in this direction and things are supposed to head a certain way. How can this be? What if God in Jesus was at work in your life right now, but not at all like you thought? What if God was at work in your life, doing something in your life that you would miss simply because it's not like you thought it would be? God's promises are going to be fulfilled, but if the Bible is any indicator, it will not be like any of us. What happens when you get sort of incredible plot twists in your life? I was, um, some of you um, know, last week we talked about um, you know, John Ramsey, who is a guy who's really one of the founding people of our Mariners Mission Viejo campus, who was a, who was a worship leader for a long time, and, and uh, he's the worship leader at our Ocean Hills campus. A couple weeks ago, um, he complained of having a headache, and he went in to have a brain tumor removed that night, or the next morning. And we saw him on video last week, and it's amazing. It's right. He can play the guitar and sing, and it's like, whoa. But there have been some prayers. As I've been following, some of you guys have been following his wife Deanna's blog about kind of their journey. It's the most honest, beautiful picture of faith that I've ever, it's just unbelievable. 
And I want to read to you an excerpt from her blog. And this is the, the blog title of this particular post was called, What Happens When God Doesn't Answer How You Want? She says this. Choosing to not acknowledge certain parts of our journey doesn't help anyone. If we turn a blind eye to certain aspects of our story, we lack full understanding of what God is doing, who he is, and how he works. Here's the reality. God did not answer our prayers how we asked. In fact, we had three specific prayer requests as he, meaning John, went into surgery. I even blogged, them out, blogged about them here. John has facial paralysis, which is a risk they were praying against. He has lost most feeling in the right side of his face. And he has permanent, hearing, permanent loss of his hearing in his right ear. But when I paused to face the reality of those things and acknowledge them, something crazy happened. I still felt calm. I felt peace. I felt grateful. Still. How can that be? Friends, the blessings that John has experienced and the provisions God has placed in our lives are abundant. And what's amazing is that although this story has not gone how we prayed or how it would go, um, prayed how it would go the night before the surgery, God has done immeasurably more, she writes in all caps, than we ever could have asked or thought to pray for. I'm going to give you one example. John can taste. We didn't know that was a risk, but after surgery, the surgeon told us it was very probable he wouldn't be able to taste. What a huge blessing that he can. In bold. God has answered prayers that we didn't even know to pray for. He is taking care of details we didn't even know were at risk. We are so grateful. How can this be? How can this be? What would that look like? Well, a lot of us will pray for our marriage. God, I just want a good and right, and I want my marriage to work out wonderfully. I want to have a, an awesome marriage. And, and what happens typically in those situations isn't that God works exactly as we know, because what in our mind probably for a lot of us is, at least if this is your picture of an ideal marriage, where I don't have to do a lot and the other person kind of does a lot of stuff. More than likely for your marriage to be repaired, God will have to humble you. Sure you want that? How can this be? God, I asked you to fix my marriage, and now I feel like I've been humbled. When you're in your, you know, maybe you're in workplace, and you are struggling to figure out what your work is all about, and you have a huge, you have a huge issue with your own boss, and you say, God, I need you to work this out, because how can this be that I work in this place with this person? Maybe God does something rather than just give you a raise and teleport you to Aspen where you have your own cabin and, you know, you're a world-renowned whatever it is you want to be. Maybe that's not his idea for restoration for you. Maybe he's got something else going on there that you don't know. For those of you in school or with friends or with relationships, whatever else it might be, we're praying that God would show up in this powerful way exactly as we have ordained it. <laughs> And then when he's operating a little differently than that, we ask the question, how, how can this be? It is one of the most quintessential questions of faith. Because it's where faith meets our practical life. God, how can this be? And the only answer we get in this particular passage, we don't get a lot of like action steps. There's not a lot of instruction here. There's no four things you could do, whatever. Maybe there are, I don't know what they are. But only thing you get is from a person who is a seventh grade girl who's been told this, 
what's going to happen to her. And she just says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be so. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm confused by this. But I'm the Lord's servant. Would you close your eyes? And we'll get a chance to respond together in prayer and, uh, and some singing. Father, we are, um, we are people who have asked the question in times of great and troubling grief about how can this be? We've asked the question in times of great celebration, how can this be that I'm such the recipient of this kind of treatment or favor? Father, sometimes you come to us and we experience you in mystery and in awe. And sometimes, Father, we experience you in confusion and frustration and we don't get it and we ask the question, how can this be? Just for a moment, in this stillness, where is it that you are praying for God's rescue, God's promises to be redeemed in your life? That you think, if it didn't happen in the way I had sort of figured it out, would I still be okay with it? Would I still want to be rescued? God takes all of the broken pieces of our own lives. And while he doesn't always give us a good reason for the brokenness in our lives, we know that he redeems them. That our shame might be over and our dignity might be restored. That even when we don't understand him, when we ask the question, how can this be, God gives to us his presence, his words, his comfort. So Jesus is a group of people who wrestle with real questions, who face real issues in real life. We come before you and we ask, how can this be? And we respond to you, a mysterious, big, and powerful God who is at in our midst, we respond with our prayer. And we respond with our singing, with our voice. We come before you without shame, Father, knowing you receive us as your children. And it is in your name we pray.